Have you ever been love struck? Have you ever been struck by love? You know that euphoric feeling that kind of jolts your body? I was reminded this week I met with an engaged couple and they kind of floated into the church office. They kept staring at each other the entire time we were talking. I was expecting a little drool to kind of, you know, just come on out. And they were giggling. Oh, my. That's how you know you're really in love is when, when you got the giggles. And you giggle about things that aren't even funny, you know. You're just giggling. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been struck by love before. We've been in a series of messages called Messes and Miracles from the Book of Ruth. And guess what? Chapter 3, Ruth falls madly in love. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, this is a powerful story of a woman by the name of Ruth. Her husband dies. Uh, she's a, she lives in the land of Moab with her, with her mother-in-law and, and what was her husband but her husband dies, her father-in-law dies, now Naomi, the mother-in-law, and Ruth move back to Bethlehem, back to Israel, and she's in a period of mourning, and she's in deep despair. She's got nobody to take care of her. Um, she, she doesn't see a bright future. She, she doesn't have provision uh, for her life, and she's trying to take care of her, of her older mother-in-law, and, and it's a mess. But as this story unfolds, we see the providence and we see the goodness of God starting to work. In chapter 2, last week, we looked at the fact that Ruth shows up to work in a random field, and it just happens to be the field of a man named Boaz. And today in chapter 3, Boaz and Ruth are going to fall madly in love. They are what we might call love struck. I was thinking this week, the world would be a better place if we had a little bit more love, wouldn't it? And I'm not just talking about romantic love. I'm, I'm just talking about all kinds of love, like the way you love your family, the way you love your neighbor, the way you love others, the way you love your, your spouse, whoever it may be. Um, God wants us to be people who are filled with love. And love has been a little distorted. Sometimes when we say love, we think about transactional love, like if you do this for me, then 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 I will love you. Or we think about emotional like feelings that kind of go with love, like as long as I feel this certain way, then I'm in love, but but then we discover that there's a lot more to love than just how we quote unquote feel. Sometimes when we talk about love, we we think about the sexual part of love, but that, that's only a small, small, small part of what love really is. God has a, a great word for us today from the book of Ruth, and I want to define love a little bit more uh, profoundly and a little bit more directly today by giving you five words that really define what true love is all about, what true love is all about. And the first of those words is a word that is not very in vogue. It's a word that's not, uh, it's not a very cool word in many regards, but it's a powerful word if we really understand what Scripture means 
when this word is used. And the first word I want you to write down on your outline is the word submissive. Love is submissive. Submissiveness does not mean abuse. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean to be put down. Submissive means something that is far more significant. And that is to partner, to work with someone. Um, If you notice in verses 1 through 5, Ruth and Naomi, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, have a conversation. Look with me, if you would, in verse 1. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her daughter, Shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But don't let the man know that you're there until he is finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying Go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything that you say. Now, my goodness, this is about to get interesting, isn't it? I mean, when's the last time you got some advice like this? It's very interesting. Uh, But I love that last phrase where Ruth says to Naomi, I will do exactly what what you said to do. There's a submissiveness that's there. There, There's there's a beautiful relationship between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Sometimes that's a very hard relationship. In this particular context, there's something very powerful and very healthy that's going on. And Naomi's trying to help Ruth out. I mean, Ruth has been mourning. Ruth is a a younger woman. She's, She's eligible, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, she's single and she's ready to mingle a little bit. She's been mourning and and she's had on the garments of mourning. We know that David mourned when his son died, the son of Bathsheba, the first. And uh, it was typical in in the ancient world that you would wear certain attire and and you would practice certain things when somebody died. So so Ruth has, has been through that, but now... Uh, she's changing her clothes because she's not going to, to mourn anymore. She, she's looking for somebody to marry. And, and the mother-in-law, Naomi, is like, let me give you a little counsel. Let me give you a little advice. She's like, listen, you need to take a bath. You need to put on some new clothes. We might translate that as time to go to the mall. You know, uh, we're, we're going to go over to the mall. We're going to get you a new outfit. We're going to get you some new shoes, amen? Whenever you want to really look good, what do you buy? You buy some shoes, don't you? I have been told that even if the rest of your outfit is kind of okay, if you have on the right shoes, hair and shoes, you got power, right? And and so Ruth is going to make a big impression on Boaz But what's so unusual about this this encounter that's about to take place is that it's it's at midnight and Boaz is laying down 
And she's going to sneak into the camp and uncover his feet. Now, there's definitely some cultural things that are going on there. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but I want you just to see Ruth's willingness to do what Naomi is instructing her to do. How many of you know, listen, when you get under authority, when you get, when you get under, uh, when you have a submissive heart, God will use that to give you some direction in your life. And uh, this, is a, this is a huge component to marriage. In fact, over in Ephesians 5.21, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, yield to, to obey each other because you respect Christ. Now, this is in the context of a husband and a wife. And he says, listen, the way that marriage works is you have a husband that is submitting to his wife and a wife that is, is submitting to to, to her husband, and each are yielding to each other. It's not just one yielding to the other, but it's both parties working together. Amen? That, that's what it takes to have love and to have a healthy family in the home where both parties are working together. Submissiveness. It's, it, it's, it's a biblical concept. And, and this word yield is a word that is very similar to the word uh, submit, yield. To yield means to consider your deal better than my deal. Um, is it any fun to be friends with somebody that only wants to do what they want to do? Is it difficult to have a marriage with somebody when it always has to be their way? It, it's tough, isn't it? And that's why the apostle says, listen, the way to have love, the way to have a healthy home and a healthy family and a great life is, 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 is for both parties to be asking, well, what do you want to do? Well, what, what is your thought? To listen, to, to, to be submissive, to, 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 to not have to have it our way all the time. Over in Genesis 2.24, um, it says, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. Now, sometimes we think about the one flesh as, as a sexual union, and that's part of the one flesh, but, but, but also, in addition to that, one flesh is two lives coming together. The math of marriage is something that's different. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is not a trick question, okay? I need some smart people uh, here today, so, some arithmetic people. One plus one equals what? It equals two. You guys are, you guys are good. Okay, way to go. Good job. The math of marriage is a little different. One husband plus one wife equals two? One. Equals one. One plus one equals one. That's God's math for the home. It's two people coming together. And listen, when you, when you come together in marriage, you have to leave some things behind. You, you, you've got to, 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 to leave and to cleave, as, as, as Genesis uh, instructs us. And, and when two people are working together and they're yielding to each other, then, then we have a submissiveness, that's where love can flourish and grow. Now, we have um, a little Havanese dog by the name of Lolly. And Lolly joined our family about three months ago. But before Lolly came to the Heller household, we had Midnight, the black cat. And Midnight is the veteran. She's been around for about three years. And, and over the last few months, she's felt like her territory has been invaded, obviously, you know. And, and I've been trying to, to work on the relationship between the puppy 
and the kitty. But it's kind of tough, right? Because, because it's been Midnight's domain for, for, for all this time. And so the first time that she met Lolly, she hissed. She smacked her on the nose. She arched her back up. That's how you know the cat's upset when they bring in the arch back, right? And then she ran off. And so over the last few months, I've been trying to get these two very different animals to kind of get along. I'm like, you guys live in the same household. You should be buddies. Come on now. Well, I have to tell you, and I want to brag just a little bit on my, on my parenting skills. I actually was able to get, and I think I have a picture of this, the cat and the dog to finally to, to lie down on the couch at the same time together without, without fighting. And you can kind of see here, we've got Lolly the dog is laying on the couch. She's right there below. Midnight the black cat is on the back of the couch. If she has to make a quick exit, you know, she can, she, she can kind of excuse herself. Under normal circumstances, the dog is barking and the cat is hissing and we got a huge problem. And so we're making some progress, right? We got two totally different animals trying to come together and, and to work together. You know, I think this is a beautiful picture of marriage. You know, a lot of husbands and wives are fighting like cats and dogs. We got two totally different species trying to come together. And, and, and one is looking at the world this way and another is looking at the world this way. How do you get cats and dogs to get along? See, I've been telling Midnight, if you'll quit hissing and you'll quit swatting and running away, you might have a buddy. And I've been telling Lolly the dog, stop barking and chasing. And if you'll behave a little bit better, things will go better for you too. The same is true in marriage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we got to bring a, a submissiveness. Husbands are submitting to wives. Wives are submitting to husbands. This is where love can flourish. Now, this is a picture of the gospel. The, the heart of Jesus is a heart of submission. In John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. The gospel is the story of submissiveness. It is Jesus laying down his life for us so that his life could become our life. And Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. And he submitted to, to his love for you and me in his death and in his resurrection. And that's how we get the gospel. That's how we get the gospel. Now, there, there's three words in this passage that... Um, that, that, that are a little bit, uh, make us a little nervous here at church today. Um, Naomi tells Ruth, uh, uncover, lie down, and then the word feet or, or legs are used. Most of the time when you hear those three words put together, you're like, okay, where is this headed? This doesn't sound good. Um, and I don't think that Naomi's counsel was probably the best. I mean, sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, oh, if, it, if a Bible character did it, it must have been perfect, you know. People in the Bible uh, did silly things. People in the Bible did not always do what was wise. People, people that were people of faith didn't always get it perfectly right. I don't think that Naomi's word to Ruth was was exactly what I would tell my daughter to do to find a husband, okay? Um, but it did work out in the end. 
Okay, they kind of bumped up against this line. I don't think that this is a sexual encounter between Ruth and Boaz. The scripture goes overboard to communicate that she's at his feet. So I don't think that's, that's what's going on here, but it probably wasn't the wisest place to be, if you know what I'm saying. And so when we read scripture, we have to understand that sometimes people did things that were maybe by their own initiative more than anything else. It was great that Boaz uh, was receptive uh, to marrying Ruth, and it was great that Naomi was trying to help bring the two together. I know that when Gina and I were first starting to date, that one of our friends was kind of the go-between. Do you know what I'm saying? Did you ever have anybody like that, you know? And he would go to Gina and he would say, hey, I think Ryan really likes you. And then he would go to, uh, then he would come to me and he would say, hey, I think Gina's really interested. You should ask her out. And he was kind of the go-between in between. Well, I kind of see Naomi like that. Naomi is, is trying to set this up because she's looking out for the best interests of her daughter-in-law. So love is, first of all, it's submissive, but it's also bold. There's a bold kind of love. And, and, and don't you just love this character, Ruth? I mean, think about this for just a moment. She goes in at midnight in verse 8, and Boaz was startled. I guess so, right? I mean, there's, all of a sudden there's a mysterious person laying at your feet. Would you be a little startled? Okay, I think that makes sense. He turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, well, who are you? you know? And I wonder if he said that with like a shriek, with a scream, with a whisper, I would love to have seen how this unfolded. I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Now, that is code for let's get married, okay? And, and so uh, if you look at it, Ruth is actually proposing to Boaz. Now, there's so, there's so many things about this that are so unusual. Number one, you have the woman that is proposing to the man. You have the Moabitist that is uh, uh, proposing to the, to the Jew. You have the servant that is, that is proposing to the master. And um, you have the younger person that is proposing to the older person. Now, everything about this seems to be kind of backwards. But uh, the boldness of Ruth is something that's to be commended. And Boaz is very receptive. He, he, he's like, hey, what a great idea. I love this, though, because Ruth is willing to risk her reputation. She's willing to risk rejection. What if this doesn't go like it's supposed to? And boldness is a willingness to affirm um, what's right and to speak up against what is wrong. Um, we need more boldness in our relationships, don't we? We need to speak the, the word of God. We need to speak the truth of God. Um, love is not always passive. Sometimes we think, well, if I, if I really love somebody, I'll just kind of stand in the corner, you know. But there's a time when we have to speak up and be bold and, and say some bold things and do some bold, th do some bold things as well. Um, confronting problems in a relationship, it takes boldness. Putting boundaries up. Um, sometimes where you're not continuing to be hurt over and over and over again. It takes boldness. Um, challenging family members to come to Christ. It takes boldness. Checking on where your kids are. takes some boldness. We're bold because we care as parents. And if you really love somebody, you'll, you'll be bold. Now there's some obstacles that are here. Uh, Boaz is bold too. 
This sounds great. Ruth and Boaz want to get married. However, there's a problem. There's a problem. In the Hebrew culture, when a family member died, a kinsman redeemer would step in. Sometimes it would be a brother. Sometimes it would be another relative. And they would marry the widow. They would produce an heir. They would pay off the family farm. They would make sure that the wife and that the um, children had what they needed. Okay. Boaz is like, I'm willing to be the kinsman redeemer. I'm family. But there's a family member that's closer than I am. And so the next day, Boaz makes the bold step. He says, let me go take care of this, honey. Let me go check this out. And he goes to the relative that's first in line to be the kinsman redeemer. And he says, hey, do you want to marry Ruth? And the guy says, not interested. No, thank you. And Boaz was like, that's good, because I wanted to marry her. I'm just checking. But I love how Boaz was willing to try to follow the rules, the Mosaic law and the traditions of Israel. He was submissive to that, and at the same time, he had a profound love for for Ruth. And as he goes and checks on this, then the other guy says, no, I don't think I want to marry her. And Boaz says, well, darn, I guess I have to now. So thank you very much. So he marries the young woman. Love is, is, is bold. Love is, love is also generous. Um, one, one of the characteristics we see here in the life of Boaz, Boaz is a good dude. He's generous to his servants. He's generous to Ruth. He tells her, hey, listen, you take, take what you want from the field. Um, he has her leave this uh, proposal in verse 16 and 17 with a, an, a large amount of crops to give to Naomi. Many commentators believe this is a dowry. In verse 16, she went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? And then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. And she said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And this is like 75 pounds of barley. Now, Ruth went into beast mode to get this back to her mother-in-law. I mean, this is a lot. But this shows the love that Boaz has for Naomi, in, or for Ruth, and he wants to take care of Naomi. And he realized she's an elderly woman, an older lady, and she needs provision. And, and so she goes back with all this barley. This is, this is right after the harvest. And you just see the heart of generosity. You know, a, a generous person... Is, is the person that we, that we should desire to become. It is also the type of person that we should look for if, if we are single and thinking about getting married. Uh, a generous person. In fact, a study came out just recently that said that generous respondents reported higher scores on the closest number of relationships and number of friends uh, that they had. In other words, generous people tend to have more friends. Now, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like, if you're kind and you're giving to other people, you got more friends than the guy that's stingy, okay? And maybe we should think about that when we're dating and when we're thinking about having relationships with people. People who are more generous are also more likely to believe that life is meaningful, and they tend to be more optimistic. Does that sound like a good thing? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's why God instructs us to be generous, Um, People who are generous um, also uh, showed signs of being happier and they felt better about their jobs, careers, and their overall life. 
Boaz is a happy dude. He's taking care of the servants. He's taking care of Ruth. He's taking care of Naomi. He's, he's generous. And we should strive to become people that are generous, that honors God. We, be, we become generous many times by giving those tithes and those offerings to the Lord and by helping others. And, and, and we should desire to become that person. And, and also we should desire to want to be in relationship with people who are generous, who are generous. Um, we also see loyalty as another expression of love here in this powerful story. Um, in the book of Ruth, there's a Hebrew word that is the word hesed. And it's used three times in the book of Ruth. It's used throughout the Old Testament. It's a word that doesn't exactly translate into English. Some of you speak other languages. Some of you speak maybe Spanish or or, or Russian, or you know, Portuguese, or, or French, or whatever you speak, Filipino. You speak other languages, and you know what I'm talking about. There's English words that don't exactly translate, and there's words in other languages that don't exactly translate into English. Well, this Hebrew word is, is a word like that. It's translated many times, kindness, but it's a word that, 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 that means more than that. It, it, it can express faithfulness, compassion, grace, mercy, and loyalty all rolled into one. And so in different translations of the Bible, the word is translated loyal here. It's translated kindness here. I like the word loyal because I think it, 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 it best expresses the concept of, of the Hebrew word said. But in Ruth 3.10, this is, this is one of the verses that, that uses this, this, this term. Um, Boaz replied, the Lord bless you. This shows how truly loyal you are to your family. That's hesed, loyal. Um, you could have looked for younger, a younger man, either rich or poor, but you didn't. So when Ruth proposes to Boaz, Boaz's response is like, well, you know, you could have gone after some of the younger guys. You're kind of coming after, you're, you're proposing to me as the older guy. And he says, you're more loyal to the family than I even thought that you were. Now, I don't know if we really, you know, capture all of that concept. I mean, that, that, that idea about loyalty to family is probably more of a Hebrew culture thing than it is a 21st century American thing. But he commends her for her loyalty to her mother-in-law, to the family um, that she has joined. And, and Boaz sees that as a strength. He's like, girl, you are loyal. I mean, you, you could have stayed back there in Moab and not come to Bethlehem with your mother-in-law. And you came all the way here and started your life over. And you, then you could have married some of the, the, the young, cool uh, you know, young men that are, that are in our community. And instead, you're so loyal to the family that you came to me. Loyalty is a huge part of love. Loyalty. And, and we should strive to be people that are loyal, shouldn't we? Um, this word has said is used in, in other references in the Old Testament to describe the relationship between husbands and wives, um, fathers and sons, relatives, hosts and guests, friends, kings and subjects, um, people within the community of God. Um, it's a beautiful word. And God wants us to be people who are loyal. In fact, one of our values here at Edge Church is loyalty. And, and I've had people ask me about that before. Pastor, that seems kind of unusual. I've never heard of a church that one of the values is loyalty. 
But you know what? I realized a long time ago as a pastor that you cannot build a church if people are not loyal. You can't do it. And so into the DNA and into the culture of Edge Church, we've had this from the very beginning, this, this teaching and this idea of the hesed, loyalty, a, a long-suffering, a commitment. It's beautiful. And, and it's a part also of, of our relationships. Uh, love is faithful. Love is faithful. Now, back to the Heller household. I got to tell you, my dog, Lolly, she's one of the most loyal beings I have ever been around before. It's really crazy. Gina is her primary concern. Gina's the one that feeds the dog. She takes the dog in the car. She's taking her to the groomers. She's, she's, she's like the primary person. I'm, I'm kind of the backup, you know. I never, I don't know much about dogs, so I'm there to help a little bit. But man, the dog, I got to tell you, crazy loyal to Gina, not so loyal to me. She will wait by the door for Gina to get home. And it's so funny because I'll be sitting on the couch and maybe Gina will be in the garage and the dog will sit by the door waiting for Gina, not, not loving me, you know, just waiting for Gina. When Gina comes in, she follows Gina around the house. When Gina sits on the couch, she comes and sits in her lap. It's crazy, really crazy. And dogs are, they're pack animals. They, 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 they love the community. They, they, love, they love the togetherness. They love that connectedness. They love being, being, being together with the family. And I, I was thinking about that this week because I thought, you know what? Isn't it amazing that God loves us so much? That God is so loyal to us? In fact, the Bible says that God is faithful to us even when we are faithless. Did you know that God wants to be with you even when you don't want to be with him? I mean, God wants to walk with you. God is waiting for you. God wants to spend every waking moment that he possibly can with you. And even when we're like, all right, God, I'm doing something different. I'm going my own way. God says, you know what? I want to be with you. God is the, the loyalty of God's love to us is magnificent. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. That's why God sent his son Jesus to die and to rise from the grave because he was so loyal to us. Finally, love is also protective. It's loyal, it's generous, it's protective. Boaz is a great protector, by the way. When he meets uh, Ruth in chapter 2, he tells her, listen, glean the grain in my, in my fields. Don't go over there. The, the people aren't so nice over there. Stay with these women, stay with these people. The other people may not treat you so nice. Okay? He, he's, he's immediately, he's protective. When he, when he knows that Naomi has need for food, he sends Ruth back with 75 pounds of barley. He, he's a protector. He, 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 he watches over. He's, a, he's that kinsman redeemer. Oh, there's a need in the family. Ruth needs protection. Naomi needs protection. Let me step in and see what I can do. Look there in verses 13 and 14. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, this is when Boaz and Ruth are talking about 
the other person that is, that is more directly in line to be her kinsman redeemer. But if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet. The Bible says at his feet right there. Until morning, but got up while it was still dark. And then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. So he's protecting her reputation. He's like, I don't want people to think you're that, that kind of girl. I want, I want people to, to, to think of you highly. I don't want, I want to protect you. And he's protective here. And he watches over. He also doesn't want her to go home in the middle of the night because it may not be safe. And so he's a protector. He's a guardian redeemer. He's uh, doing what he's got to do to take care of um, this, this innocent woman. And uh, in, in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Jesus is described as a kinsman redeemer, a protector. For you know that you were redeemed from your enemy, from your empty way of, of, of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished, spotless lamb. So Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Now see, we, we had a problem with sin. We were alienated from God, and God sent a Savior in his son, Jesus. In, in, a, in a beautiful way, the story of, of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz is a, parable of, is a parable of divine love. Naomi is the loving parent, uh, which, which is uh, God. Um, she longs for her child's redemption. She uh, made a plan for her to be redeemed. And redemption was only possible because of the relationship with the Redeemer. Ruth is a picture of the lost sinner. She could do nothing to save herself. She responds to Boaz's grace. Um, she leaves her past behind. She uh, requests that the Redeemer redeem her. And she received both the promise of redemption and the pledge for future redemption. Um, Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he was worthy to redeem her. Uh, he was willing to redeem her. And he was waiting. He was, he was waiting to redeem her. Uh, he was worthy. He was willing. He was waiting. All three of those things together, we see a beautiful picture of love. And we see a beautiful picture of the gospel and God's love for us. So what is love? Love is not just transactional. What can you do for me? Love is not just emotional. It's not just like the warm ooey gooeys, the feelings. Love is submissive. It's bold. It's protective. It's generous. And it's loyal. And that's why we need God's great love in our life. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Let's bow our hearts and our heads for just a moment as we have a moment with God. I want to lead you in a prayer today. And if you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to experience the, the love of God in my life, this redeeming love. Would you just raise your hand wherever you are? And I want to pray for you. Yeah, all over this room, the front, the back, and the sides, in the middle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you over here in the corner. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. You see our hands raised. Lord, you know 
how badly we need your great love today. Lord, would you fill our hearts with the power of your love, the power of the gospel. Lord, would you, would you bring more love into our homes, into our communities, into our families? Lord, would you give us a, a love that is similar to that kinsman redeemer, um, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins? And while our heads are bowed for a moment longer, um, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to ask Christ to come into your life. Maybe you've never made life's greatest decision. Did you know that God wants his love to fill your heart? And he'll do so if you simply ask. The greatest decision a person can ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to come in to their heart. Would you do it? It is truly the greatest decision you'll ever make. It's a beautiful decision. It's a faith commitment. And I want to lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. If you'd like to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart this morning, would you just raise your hand wherever you're seated? Just hold it up high. I want to lead you in a word of prayer. Yeah, thank you. I see you guys in the back over here. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else today this morning? And if you raised your hand, pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a brand new person. As I'm putting my faith in Jesus and what he did at the cross and resurrection. Now, Lord, thank you for saving me and making me new. Say this. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate today what God is doing. Amen.